Welcome in. Good to have you. Very big day. And there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, the situation with the UAW is a big one. There is a deal. We told you yesterday there we they were working towards a deal. And now the UAW and Ford have announced that a tentative agreement has been reached. What's in it? 25% in base wage increases through April of 2028. That's the duration of the deal. The also the top line wages go from 32 32 an hour they jump over 30% to more than $40 an hour. The rise in starting wage is up 68% to over $28 an hour over the life of the deal. And the UAW says that workers will receive an immediate 11% wage increase upon ratification. Chuck Browning is the executive vice president of the UAW. And he and UAW President Sean Fain spoke yesterday. He talked about the record deal. Thanks to the power of our members on the picket line and the threat of more strikes to come, we have won the most lucrative agreement per member since Walter Ruther was president. Between wage increases, COLA, annual bonuses to retirees, and other economic gains, There is more value for our members in each individual year of this agreement than the entirety of the 2019 agreement. And that's exactly what the UAW was looking for in this situation. These are the types of numbers that they were looking for. Not the numbers that were proposed, but this. The middle ground numbers is what they were looking for, and they got it with Ford. So what does this mean now going forward? Well, The rank and file at four need to vote on this. Once they vote on it, it's full steam ahead for the Blue Oval. In my mind, this is the first domino to fall. Whether it was Stellantis or General Motors, whoever was the first company to get this done, it was the first domino to fall. And now I would expect the other OEMs General Motors and Stellantis, I would expect them to look at this deal and say, okay, well, that's where we need to get. Maybe General Motors, there's a little leeway because of the EV battery production stuff. Maybe. But I think for the most part, this is where they needed to get. I was a little surprised that they came to an agreement separately from the EV battery production stuff. I I was surprised by that. I thought that was a real holdout here. But credit Ford. And 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 you know what? The UAW, their job is to represent the rank and file. Their job is to represent the union workers. And they did. They did. It was contentious. It was tough. But at the same time, the, everything is up for UAW workers who work for the Blue Oval. So that is big news locally. We will continue to follow it, but I would imagine this is the first domino to fall, and we will see the other automakers agree to at least a tentative agreement pending a, a, a ratification by the union rank and file, and, and we, we will be getting back to business. We'll, we'll talk about this a little more coming up 
in about nine minutes. But there's a lot of different angles here, and we'll get into it. In the meantime, yes, I have been, like you, following the situation unfolding out of Maine. It is horrific. 18 dead, 13 others injured. There was a lot of there was a lot of conflicting information about how many people were, were shot and killed. Certainly in the immediate wake of the shooting last night, um, but even as of this morning, lots of, of questions about the actual numbers. In this case, the shootings happened in two different locations, at a bar and a bowling alley in Lewiston, Maine. There are shelter-in-place orders because they have not been able to locate Robert Card, the 40-year-old man who they believe shot and killed 13 people and injured, or excuse me, 18 people dead, 13 injured. Now, Robert Card is somebody who is obviously mentally ill. He was being treated. He said he was hearing voices in his head. And while they have not located him, there is a warrant out for his arrest, eight counts of murder. Why? Because the other 10 have not yet been identified. So we will continue to follow this story as well. A manhunt is underway. Somebody who is being considered armed and dangerous on the East Coast. So we will follow that for you as well. We'll talk about it. Uh, throughout the day uh, in in segments to come. In the meantime, job burnout is common in many professions, post-pandemic for certain. But one group is coming forward and saying not only are they feeling the pressure to perform, but their bosses are offering little sympathy, and it comes in cases and it adds more pressure. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne says, Pharmacists in the nation's largest retail chains are coming forward and saying they are reaching a breaking point. Good afternoon, Marie. Hi, Chris. The workforce in the pharmacy industry says they are absolutely being pushed to the brink. We've talked here before about how some workers walked off the job at CVS and Walgreens, and in some places they even had to close those facilities. CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Walmart, they have all slashed pharmacy staffing levels. And at the same time, they've asked these frontline workers to perform more duties and perform them faster. A decade ago, you would have seen two pharmacists and six pharmacy techs filling an average of about 500 prescriptions a day at the average drugstore. Now, a lot of these outlets have half of that staff and even higher prescription volumes. And then you add to that list, they have to give vaccines, make the appointments for those vaccines. They have rapid tests and patient consultation calls. Every task is timed, and it is compared to corporate goals, which measure speed and profits. Staff are being pressured to answer phones faster, push vaccines, fill the prescriptions, and if they don't do it fast enough, they could lose their jobs. According to reporting by USA Today, representatives of CBS and Walgreens say there have been challenges, but they've denied that they push these goals that might be harmful to customers. They say corporate service goals are standard in the industry. But the pharmacists do not agree. 
In a recent survey in California, 91% of chain pharmacists said that they lacked the uh, staff needed to ensure safe patient care, adequate patient care. So, Chris, as you can imagine, the profession has overall taken a hit. Pharmacists and techs have rebounded to pre-pandemic rates, so there are enough bodies right now. But overall, interest in this profession it's at an all-time low. It's another another line of work that we just can't afford to see less and less people. And Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, coming up next, we got to take a break. What does this mean for the auto industry going forward? What does this mean for labor negotiations going forward? Ford and the UAW have agreed to a tentative deal. What does that mean for General Motors and Stellantis? We'll talk about it next on JR Afternoon. Today, we reached a tentative agreement with Ford. For months, we've said that record profits mean record contracts. And UAW family, our stand-up strike has delivered. That is UAW President Sean Fain. And there is a tentative deal between the UAW and Ford. What does this mean? Not only for Ford and the UAW, but then Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. That's where Merrick Masters comes in, the professor of business at the Mike Illich School of Business at Wayne State University, a labor expert. He joins us. Uh, Merrick, good to have you once again. What stuck out to you about this agreement between the UAW and Ford? Well, it moves substantially in the direction the UAW wanted. And I think it reflected a successful bargaining strategy on the part of the union. The question is whether or not the increased labor costs can be adequately adapted to by the company without hindering its competitiveness. That's an open question at this point in time. But the challenges facing the company are steep regardless of this contract or its cost implications just by the nature of the transition to electric vehicles. And therefore, it will have to pay more attention to its overall pricing, capital investment, and cost reduction efforts as it moves forward to compete. What is this What is this particular strike? And, and again, I, I, I would imagine that we're going to get a deal done between the other two automakers, and we'll get to that momentarily. But the way that this strike was structured, what does this do to labor negotiations going forward between companies and and unions? Well, I think it sends a signal to other companies that they can expect ambitious and bold demands from union leaders and their members, and that they will be accompanied by harsh media campaigns that attempt to put companies and their executives on the defensive and align public opinion with the union as well as identify favorably predisposed policymakers with the union point of view. It will also, I think, make them realize that unconventional strike strategies and disruptions of work will be used on a tactical basis to inflict harm. That, I think, was somewhat evident in the three-day strike that the Kaiser Permanente workers waged against the company, an unfair labor practice strike. And this 
sort of asymmetrical, unconventional strike by the UAW threw the company off balance and forced them, I think, into bargaining against each other and against themselves. What does this do to the negotiations with the other two companies, General Motors and Stellantis? that the workers have been sent back to work puts additional pressure. The UAW will be bold and insistent on a pattern agreement, so it's going to be hard for the companies to deviate in a significant way from the core elements of this agreement. And although they're close on some items, sometimes when you're closer, it's harder to narrow that gap more. And so I anticipate that there's some hard bargaining ahead of them. Because these negotiations seem to be so different than they were in in years past, uh, and, and in in terms of all of the negotiations that have happened between the UAW and and these auto companies in the past, does this do you feel give Ford a slight edge in the marketplace because they got a deal done first? What what does this mean for Ford that they were the first company to get a a, a tentative deal on the table? Well, I don't think it necessarily gives them an advantage. If the strike were to be prolonged at the other two companies, certainly they would have some advantage. But the structural issues associated with change in the industry are so great and the capital investment requirements so high, as well as the economic future so uncertain that I think they're going to have profound business challenges regardless of this contract. And each of the companies is going to have to sort through them and have a keen strategy in order to survive going forward. You know, Ford had been pretty vocal in terms of their response to whether it was shots that the UAW was taking at at Ford or 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 in general. I mean, Bill Ford Jr. coming out and talking was impactful, I thought, and the way that that they had held media events to to I guess uh, share their side of the negotiations as well. Um, those were very uh, again um, unique to this particular contract negotiation cycle. Did that help Ford or hurt Ford? But uh, with seeing how they're the first ones that got it done, um, do you think that played any role at all? Well, it's reminiscent of the way labor negotiations were many years ago. It reminds me of the crust of bread speech that John Lewis, the leader of the United Mine Workers, used to use in which he'd sit around the table with mine operators and say, all we're asking for is something not anywhere near the equivalent of the price of the yacht you own or the price of the Rolls Royce you own, but something like the price of a crust of bread for our workers. Mm. And he would insult the company executives by that and try and rouse members and the public in the favor of the union. And I think that kind of tactic and approach is something that has been reinvented, if you will, in this round of negotiations. How do you think the rank and file look at this this tentative deal is this one that you think will will get an overwhelming majority of support i wouldn't necessarily say it's an overwhelming majority i think the union has a strong case to make to its members the devil is always in the detail one of the good things i think is that the union is in a hurry an appropriate hurry to get the information out to the rank and file so they can make an informed decision 
And the leaders will pay careful attention to what this National Board Council has to say. And as Sean Payne said, I think on more than one occasion during his speech, it's the members who are the ultimate authority of the union. They're going to listen to them. What do we got next? What 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 can we expect next in in a broad sense in these negotiations with the other companies, uh, or from for this deal with Ford? What do we look forward to next? I think uh, we look for obviously the contract ratification vote, and I think that will probably take place and be finished within the next ten days or so, and then we watch the negotiations with for GM and Stellantis. There's some hard bargaining that has to be done there, but they could be wrapped up within a week before the ratification vote is completed. And we could see then the companies have to deal with the new reality of higher labor costs. Do you feel uh, you mentioned that the the union has to sell this to the rank and file, which they, they certainly do. With the rhetoric that Sean Fain used throughout these negotiations, do you feel like they accomplished what they set out to get? Well, expectations were high, and I'm certain that there are some workers that would like to have gotten defined benefit plans restored, would like to have gotten retiree health care restored, would like to have gotten the shorter work week, would like to have gotten the in-progression time reduced to essentially 90 days, and also assurances that the battery plants would be covered under the National Master Agreement across the board. We don't know what Ford might have agreed to on that latter last matter, but uh, it didn't accomplish all that it wanted. And when you raise expectations, there's always a danger that you're going to fall short of meeting them. Merrick Masters at Wayne State University, always appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for being a resource for us. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. Yep, you do the same. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I think it's a very important point to remember. The, the rhetoric, the demands that the UAW were asking for were high. And they aren't quite as high as what they got. And when you rally a group like Sean Fain seemed to have done... Is this going to be enough? I think that's where the UAW is going to have to step up. We'll take a look at the financial ramifications of this Ford deal coming up next on JR Afternoon. All right, I want to get to your calls. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. What do you think the ramifications of these contract negotiations are or will be? Because here's the other part in all of this, too. When wages go up as much as they are, a 25% bump in base wages or COLA coming back. I mean, these are things, these are items, line items and contracts that the UAW didn't have. And the auto companies weren't accustomed to paying. They weren't used to paying a, 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 another 25% on each worker. So what does that do to the bottom line? What does that do to the vehicles? What does that do to the cost of a uh, the uh, the the cost of a vehicle? To me, what happens? It's going to go up. The cost of vehicles are going to go up. The companies aren't just going to eat it. They're they're businesses. <laughs> they're trying to make as much money as possible. So no, I don't I don't believe that this doesn't get passed along. I think that eventually if you are going to be in the market for a vehicle, you're going to pay more. 
or if you're going to be in the market for a used vehicle, the cost of used vehicles are going to go up. Look, I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying that reality, that's probably what's going to happen. And I get the UAW wants more money. I, I understand. I, it's, this is nothing on, on auto workers. I just think reality shows you that the cost of these items are probably going to go up. 800-859-0957. Vince is in Northville, kicks us off. What's up, Vincent? Hey, sir. I'm doing the math, and my buddy works at the Dearborn plant for the Lightning and a high-end truck. So I just got off the phone with him, and I was talking to him, and he's pretty happy. Sure. Because I was asking him, and he's like, well, right now I'm at, he goes, at the end of this original contract, before the new one, he goes, I'm at forty-two fifty an hour. But he goes, I'm also six, six years away from retirement. Sure. I say, okay. So I go, where are you at right now? And he goes, right now, with benefits and everything like that, when I walk out of here, he goes, I'll be at about 144 an hour. Mm. That's everything. But then again, he's only got six years to retirement. Okay. Sure. So last year, I think with overtime, he averaged, he told me, he goes, this, I averaged about 55 hours a week. He goes, I was taxed at 133, 133,000. Wow. Vince, plus, I, I mean, look. Whatever. Sure. Yeah, right. Exactly. I think that those workers are going to love this. Those workers are going to love the uptick. Those workers are really going to enjoy the fact that that they're going to get a little bump. And especially if he's so close to retirement. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be something he's going to thoroughly enjoy. Tim's in Flushing. Hello, Tim. Chris, uh, first of all, I'd like to say I enjoyed when you worked with uh, Frank Beckman. I think you're doing a great job now. Love Thanks, Timmy. I appreciate but, you. But any, anyway, my opinion, you just mentioned the workers get a, get a little bump up. They're getting a big bump up. Sure. If I, if anybody who does not work for an automotive company, an hourly worker, if they got half of the raise, not the cost of living, half the raise that they're giving to these uh, auto workers, mm-hmm. I think uh, they'd be happy. And also, I've leased at least 10 cars in the last 15 years. I'm retired. I could afford it. I don't see me buying another car because the price is going to go outrageous. And this is just setting up your other car companies, the Toyotas, Toyotas, Hondas, Hondas, to basically take over the area. It's going to happen. Yeah, Not tomorrow. I, I don't it, know what that looks like long term. I think hypothetically you could be right. I don't know that around here – it can ever really get to that point. And look, Toyota's a good company. They're they're kind of a quasi big four here. But but I think that does open the door for other vehicles that are comparable in specs, right? Whether it's the size of the vehicle or whether that's the 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 technology that's included. I, I could see a situation where, yeah, you know, if if it's less money. People are going to, they're going to gravitate towards that depending on how much these cars go up. Not saying it's going to go up drastically, but I do believe that the cost of vehicles probably will go up. Tim, I appreciate the call. Thank you, my man. Uh, In the meantime, what does this mean for, for the automakers and where does this cost get passed down to? I can't imagine that the OEMs are just going to eat it. Daniel Ives is the managing director and senior equity research analyst at Wedbush Securities. And he joins us. Daniel, good to have you. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, well, what are the financial impacts here? I'll, I'll, we'll focus on the UAW momentarily. But for, for example, Ford, with this particular deal, what are the financial ramifications for the Blue Oval? I mean, 
we've talked about two to three thousand dollars per vehicle over the next eighteen twenty four months that's going to get passed to the consumer wow. because ultimately, if you look at their business model from a Wall Street perspective, they are already back against the wall. so by this deal, which we thought you know from the beginning was a debacle from the u a w to get the deal actually done. It's going to put them in a tightrope to, to sort of get this profitable business on electric vehicles over the coming years. That's been the frustration, from at least from an investor perspective. From a UAW perspective, from an economic perspective, obviously these folks not being able to work, not bringing in their normal paycheck impacts uh, the their economic footprint, not only in the state of Michigan, but around the country. What does this deal do for for the the near term economic outlook, well, it was about anywhere from eight hundred million to a billion in terms of the impact negatively, not just for the automakers, but the ripple effect across the economies, you know, especially in Detroit and other areas where where, where you saw these strikes. Look, clearly, workers they get more money. It's good for the workers from a retention perspective. The problem is that when you take a further step back, you're competing against Tesla and a lot of the foreign automakers that are non-union. Mm-hmm. That's basically me and you running a race, and I got my shoes, you know, ultimately shoelaces open, and I have one foot tied behind my back. I still and might take in that race, problem. Daniel. I still might take in the race. Again, you've never seen it run, but you never know. Yeah. No, but 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 that's the frustration. And, sure. you, and you talk about you've heard Barra from Farley is that you know essentially it's been a gut a black cloud over these names, and I think also the way it was done leaves a particularly bad taste in the mouth. A twenty five percent increase could have been done in another way instead of basically like a Broadway show. Netflix PR special that the way it was done. So let's hypothetically say General Motors and Stellantis come in with with similar deals. They may not be, you know, uh, apples to apples, but they may be pretty similar is is my guess. Do you extrapolate then based on Ford with the cost of these vehicles going up over the the course of the next two years or so? Um, And then do, do you believe that that drives more of the American public who are still dealing with inflationary numbers? Who still the the cost of goods and services are, are are still high? Do you see them gravitating towards other automakers? Look, it's going to be a churn, right? I mean, the biggest winners in all this is Elon Musk and Tesla, as well as the foreign automakers, mm. because as the costs go up, and also like, look, Ford has not exactly been you know, phenomenal delivery for quality control in terms of getting things done on time at the right pace, there's going to be more and more pressure for them. You're going to have a clear churn as prices go up and other electric vehicle companies come in. And then in terms of the EV strategy, which when it was laid out, the blueprint made sense, you do have to reevaluate some of it just given this UAW situation. Sure. Uh, Daniel Lives with Wedbush Securities. Thanks so much for your insight. Appreciate it. Thank you. Got to take a break. We'll get to more of your calls, your texts coming up on the UAW and Ford tentative agreement. What does it mean then for General Motors, for Stellantis? And could you see a situation 
where the cost of these vehicles are going to go up. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. And speaking of vehicles, more school districts are going towards electrified buses. We'll talk about that next as well on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We're talking UAW. We're talking the tentative agreement Ford and What's the next domino to fall? I got to imagine now that Stellantis and General Motors see the type of deal that got done with Ford. I can imagine that they'll come in with something similar to try to get this thing done and get people back to work. Get vehicles rolling off the line again. But the reality is when you're dealing with an increase in pay of up to 25%, when, you know, cola is back, Improvements to 401ks and pensions, all those things are back. I, 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 I have a hard time believing that the cost of the item that you're producing doesn't go up. And so that's what I'm asking you. Do you believe these cars are going up? Daniel Lives believes the cost of the cars are going to go up over the span of the next 12 to 18 months up to three grand. I mean, that's substantial. Where are you at on this? 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. In the meantime, there is an interesting development happening, of course, as we talk about electrified vehicles. More and more school districts across the country, coast to coast, are spending big bucks on EV school buses. California's Modesto City Schools placed the largest school bus order in history, Boston is switching up their 700 buses to electric. New York just passed a bill to electrify their school bus fleet by 2035. Now, those are some of the states that you would expect to see this type of push from. And much of the country is going to head in that direction as more and more EV buses are created. Jennifer Mefford's the national co-chair in the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Training Program and joins us. Jen, good to have you. Hey, Chris. How are you? Uh, very well. This is this is quite a push that school districts across the country are making. Why are they doing it now? You know, we've seen quite a bit of movement in the school bus market since uh, the infrastructure bill came out. Obviously, there's funding attached to that bill um, that will cover the cost of both uh, the vehicles as well as the infrastructure to support them. So, in the first round of funding that came out last year, Michigan um, really did quite well. They were uh, ranked second overall for most districts awarded uh, funding to expand into electrified buses and tor- total fourth total in funding. So I feel like we're gonna start to continue to see more and more of those uh, electric fleet buses coming into the market. Michigan right now has 138 uh, in service and the second round of funding is open now through the end of January. So I would expect that we'll see a lot more application for Michigan as well. So let's take, for example, uh, in Modesto, they purchased 700 EV school buses. What type of infrastructure would be required to to power that load of, of buses, that many buses? Yeah, so you and I have had conversations about fleet vehicles before and anything that's on a fixed route. Um, is definitely a great candidate for electrification because it's very predictable what route that vehicle is going to travel every day. We generally know where it's going to start and stop, how long it's going to be in service, and where it kind of comes home to rest. 
school buses in particular have a large amount of downtime during the day. So these vehicles will actually be able to be charged oftentimes on level two charging, which is not as expensive from an infrastructure standpoint because you have longer time, Chris, to charge them mm-hmm. during the day while they're resting, if they will, in between routes. Do you think school districts around the country uh, are, are looking at maybe some of these other districts, whether it's in California, New York, or Boston, or, or even here in Michigan, um, do, do you think they're looking at how this is working and whether or not or sooner or later they should hop into EV school buses? Do you think they're looking at this almost as like trial runs? Yeah, they're definitely looking at it. I mean, it obviously helps when there's funding attached to it, but there's no question it's it's cleaner. And the operational costs of the EV buses over the lifetime of that bus really kind of level out the cost. They're cleaner. Um, obviously, everything, there's 500,000 school buses big yellow buses running around our country right now and they're running on diesel. So this is a cleaner option, quiet option. Um, You can also um, even look at configurations with those large installations in California where you could use some energy storage, you know, charge with renewables, store that energy either in the vehicle or in battery energy storage and utilize that to offset some of the electrical happening at that facility. So I think just like so much of electric vehicles right now, Everyone's looking at all of it, and definitely um, I do see Michigan will continue to expand in this area. Is there an opportunity here as more schools hop on board that there will be additional jobs created in this in this type of realm? You know, I, I think for me one of the biggest, of course, any infrastructure going in is going to create more work um, for existing electricians, existing contractors, and there's obviously going to be a maintenance component to this that's also a job creator of actually maintaining, uh, you know, that uh, vehicle. I think one of the cool things about some of the schools that I've been in contact with, even in California, is the learning opportunity for the students. So when those electric vehicles come into service and they're uh, powered by electricity and perhaps they do have a solar and storage integration, it's a great learning tool for the students uh, in in those schools. You know, Mm -hmm. it's really kind of a living example of this technology at work. Uh, it's very cool. And I imagine more and more schools, especially as the funding that you mentioned is attached to this, more and more schools are going to hop on it, not only here in Michigan, but across the country. Jennifer Mefford, good stuff. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you next week. In the meantime, I want to get back to your calls. 800-859-0957. Dave in Rochester has been holding. What's up, David? Hey, Chris. Um, yeah, I hate to rain on your parade, but this bit about raising the cost of a vehicle ridiculous why your last guest that first of all 25 percent. let's think about this for a second okay okay it's 30 30 hours of uaw labor goes into an average vehicle four percent of the revenue five percent of the operating cost okay okay you take 25 percent of four in terms of uh revenue or are are 25 percent of five what do you come up with? Your last guest, BS, $12,000, $3,000 a vehicle. He's saying that must be $12,000 of UAW cost per vehicle. That is total BS. Okay. All right, Dave, I appreciate the call. Real quick, Jim in Yale. Hello, Jim. Hey, good afternoon, Chris. Hey. First of all, we got to remember, for 15 years, we didn't get anything. And I don't remember car prices being the same now as they were 15 years ago. It's true. But what happened here, Chris, 
that argument I keep hearing that we're going to cause the price of cars to go up, that smells a lot like what we put on the field in the fall. Jim, look, I don't, I don't know that that is exclusively what's going to cause the prices to go up. And again, this is just my speculation. Anytime a company has a, an increase in cost, the way that these automakers will incur, who, out of the goodness of their heart, are they just going to eat that? I mean, they're trying to make as much money as possible. So. Again, I don't blame the UAW. I don't blame the rank and file for wanting more. You haven't even made as much money as you did in 2010. I mean, the concessions you made in 2009 were real. I I, I don't think it's right that you haven't had, you know, a cost of of living wage go up or your your wages go up. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's directly tied to the UAW or the UAW's workers' fault. I do believe, though, <laughs> in reality, that with the uptick in costs, uh, probably the uptick in car prices as well. Jim, I appreciate the call. Got to take a break. More of your calls and texts next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Three o'clock hour. Good to have you. Still lots to do today. We are going to talk about the, the, the shooting that happened in Maine. 18 people dead, 13 people injured, and they are on the lookout for the gunman. We'll give you the latest on that story coming up uh, as well. But uh, that particular shooting has raised more questions. What could be done? Why wasn't this prevented? Or wh- how is this preventable? So we'll we'll try to get those questions uh, answered. Meanwhile, Ford Motor Company, the United Auto Workers, say they have reached a historic tentative agreement. We'll give you more of the details uh, with Marie Osborne coming up here momentarily. But I think more of this, more of the the priority now sits at the feet of General Motors and Stellantis to try to get a deal done. And now that they have an idea of what's what's acceptable to the UAW, I, I would imagine we're going to see those chips fall uh, here pretty quick as well. Again, we'll do that in a couple of minutes. In the meantime, how about this story? Donald Trump, of course, facing a number of charges across the board. But the federal charges is what I want to focus on here for, for just a moment. Mark Meadows has joined the list of flippers. Mark Meadows, who has been close to the former president, former chief of staff. He turned on Donald Trump in exchange for a lesser sentence in one of the many cases pending against Donald Trump. Now, according to reports, Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff, has spoken with special counsel Jack Smith's team at least three times this year, including once before a federal grand jury after Smith granted Meadows immunity to testify under oath. Meadows allegedly informed Smith's team that he reportedly told Trump in the weeks after the 2020 election that the allegations of significant voter fraud coming to them were baseless. Meadows also told federal investigators that Trump was, quote, being dishonest with the public when he first claimed to have won the election in the hours after the polls closed. Now, according to ABC News, investigators were interested in two things from Mark Meadows. One about the conversations he had with Donald Trump during his final months in office and whether Mark Meadows believed 
the claims that he had published in his own book after he left office. In that book, Meadows wrote that the election was stolen, rigged, and with help from allies in the liberal media who ignored, quote, actual evidence of fraud right there in plain sight for anyone to access and analyze. But according to reports, Meadows told investigators that he has yet to see any evidence of fraud that would have kept Joe Biden from the White House. He also told them that he agrees with the government assessment that the 2020 presidential election was the most secure election in U.S. history. So again, does this does this send shockwaves to Donald Trump's camp that yet somebody else who has been very close to Donald Trump, somebody who has been close to Donald Trump, I mean, even in the last year, somebody who's named in the Georgia case, somebody who Donald Trump said was a great chief of staff, a very special friend, I believe was the quote. Somebody like that turning on Donald Trump, what are the ramifications of it? I want to get back to your phone calls on the UAW 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. But first, want to get you updated on what this deal looks like. Nearly six weeks after the United Auto Workers began a strike, UAW President Sean Fain announced a tentative agreement with Ford is done. Now the rank and file has to look at it and choose whether this is something they want to get on board with. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne has more on that story. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. And the picket lines folded just a moments after Sean Fain made that announcement last night. You've been talking about this the whole show. The agreement includes a 25% wage hike over the life of the four-and-a-half-year contract, a boost in retirement contributions, the elimination of lower pay tiers for workers in certain parts of operations at Ford. It also reduces the time to get to top pay from eight years to three years, And this is an important first for the union. The UAW won the right to strike over plant closures. Workers will also receive an immediate 11% wage increase upon ratification. The deal includes improvements for current retirees, workers with pensions, and those who have their 401k plans. The UAW met this morning now with GM, and it's supposed to meet with Stellantis a little bit later today. Sources say GM and UAW are fairly close on the economic issues, so the Maybe they just need to buff up uh, their agreement and maybe they'll be making an announcement soon as well. The ratification will likely be for Ford in the next couple of weeks. Until then, Ford workers are going back to work. And again, that's a real departure from the past when workers usually stayed off the job until the deal was actually ratified. Now, they're going to get a full look at this agreement um, and the details will be relieved, uh, revealed rather, on uh, Sunday night, they're going to do a Facebook presentation, a Facebook Live presentation uh, for the members to look at some of these details. Of course, we'll get a look at it, too. And then UAW's National Ford Council is going to come to Detroit on Sunday, too. They're going to vote on whether to send that agreement to the members for a vote, Chris. Well, hopefully this gets done uh, as soon as possible and those folks can get back to work, get back to making uh, some of the best cars in the world. Uh, and General Motors and Stellantis uh, on uh, on the tail end of this as well. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. Let's get back to the phones. Gary is in Plymouth. What's up, Gary? Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about this uh, raise that the UAW is getting. Yeah. And you kept saying it's going to raise the price of the car. 
Well, I, I think I, it could raise the price of the car, yeah. Well, you know, the uh, cost of labor is, it used to be like 5% mm-hmm. when I retired. Okay. The price of a car has gone up 15%. G- Gary, were you a UAW member? I was. Okay. So the price of the car went up 15%. Okay. And I think that the um, labor costs, oh, there's got to be less labor costs now because there's less people. They've got more robotics. So why would the price of the car go up? It should go down. Well, yes, but also when you're talking about a 25% wage increase right off the rip, I mean, that's that that's that's the first line item that they got. Where, where does that money where does that money come from? Is Ford well, expected to they get the 20 they don't get the 25% right away. It's no, no, no. 4 years. Correct, but my point is my point is uh, and that's not even the other items that the UAW fought for and got. My point is that with the uptick in the cost of what an hour the hourly cost of what the OEMs pay per employee is going to go up, where does that money go? Where, where, who, is, who is incurring the cost of that? The price of labor is not going to go up. Okay, because, I mean, Gary, okay, that's fine. But my point is the, the UAW fought for a lot here, and they got a lot. And so what yes. the, the cost of what the automakers are going to pay out per hour is going to go up. Whether it's incrementally or not, I mean, look, Daniel Lives with Wedbush Securities says the cost of a vehicle could go up three thousand bucks, two two thousand, three thousand bucks. I mean, okay, well, look, we'll we'll see. I hope that's not the case. But my point is, the reality is when you are dealing with an increase in pay, when you're dealing with an increase in money and spending that you weren't spending a year ago. Well, where does that money come from? I would imagine the consumer bears the brunt of that. Right, wrong, or indifferent, the UAW fought for, and I think got a lot of what they deserved. But at some point, somebody's got to pay for it. Gary, I appreciate the call. Uh, Real quick, Justin in Westland. What's up, Justin? All right, so the the initial bump is is, uh, a 20% bump, which comes from the vehicles originally were $2,600, Per vehicle for labor costs up to thirty one hundred. So you're looking at like a five hundred dollar increase per vehicle for the initial bump. Okay. So as far as the cost where that cost lands, because I, I see you stressing that point, what's going to happen is, is some of that cost is going to go to the consumer, and then the, uh, another part of that cost is the company is going to redouble their efforts to cut jobs within the facilities that's very possible too sure so it's it's not possible that's that's how it works okay but uh so the the, that's where the cost is going to come where it's the the battle for this this pay increase isn't done just yet because it's still going to be at the you know the factory floor while we're trying to keep people at work no doubt justin good stuff appreciate the call my man thank you 800-859-0957 13 people are injured, 18 people are dead in Lewiston, Maine. We'll talk about that horrific situation next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. You know, the situation that was unfolding last night in Maine was just, it was heartbreaking. 18 people dead, 13 injured in just a horrific mass shooting at two different locations 
in the Lewiston, Maine area. Now, there was a lot of confusion about how many people were 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 shot and killed last night, how many people were injured. But authorities today uh, held a press conference, including Maine Public Safety Commissioner Mike Soschuk, who says hundreds of police officers are searching for Robert Card, a 40-year-old firearms instructor and U.S. Army reservist. Now, according to military officials, commanders in the Army's in the Army Reserve's 3rd Battalion, 304th Infantry Regiment, became concerned in mid-July that Robert Card was acting erratically while the unit was training at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, New York. That's when New York State Police took Card to the Keller Army Community Hospital at West Point for evaluation after he claimed he was hearing voices and threats to shoot up the military base. There are eight... uh, uh, warrants, uh, uh, there's a warrant issued for Card on eight counts of murder because only eight of the 18 have been ID'd. The rest, uh, he says, will uh, more charges will come as more people become identifiable. Where is the, the, what is the state of this investigation now? That's where Mike Bouchard joins us, the Oakland County Sheriff, of course, uh, also with the major county sheriffs uh, of America, uh, Sheriff, good to have you, first of all. Um, talk to us a little bit about, and, and you unfortunately have had to deal with this over the last couple of years, but when you're when you're training for a mass shooting situation, how important is it to be up to date on that training? Oh, it's, it's critically important, and it's critical to learn what's happened in other scenarios, not just around our state, our country, but our world. And so that informs our training so for example after mumbai the multiple jurisdictional attack where there were multiple venues that got hit by multiple teams that's when i called all the chiefs in oakland county and we met in my office and decided to start training together that was back in 2006 on active assailants so that we all had the same training the same protocol go find the threat immediately no waiting no staging go to the threat, go to the chaos, and uh, make sure the threat is eliminated. Mm -hmm. Stop the threat. That's your first job. And if you don't have that training and you don't have that mindset, then you end up with Parkland and Uvalde. And so that's critically important. But then also how you integrate and work together in a manhunt um, uh, that they have in this situation is critically important too. And we're also blessed in our region to – region area to have great partnership with our um, local agencies, all the police chiefs partner together, our state and our feds. We work seamlessly together. So it sounds like they have that there, but that is something that needs to be built and trained and practiced before an event so you can wipe out as many hiccups as possible during an event. When it comes to a manhunt uh, like we're seeing here in Maine now or, or the surrounding states, what goes into that? What kind of intel are you looking at? What kind of resources are you using to try to track somebody down? Well, without getting into specific tracking things, because obviously we don't want our sure. adversaries to know how we do that. But I can say on a high level, you know, the first thing they'll typically do is look for known associates, friends, family, uh, places he's frequented. Does he have a cabin? Does he have a place that he's gone that he's comfortable that he knows the woods or a particular area. So you start to look for where he may fall back to as a place of comfort or a place of refuge. That would be the first step. So 
you know, obviously I, I imagine they've already determined whether he has a cabin or a cottage or knows someone that does or has frequented a spot. Um, what was accessible within that region before he got outside their perimeter? All of those will be going into that kind of mindset. Do you think that with the severity of a case like this, there there are still things to learn? I mean, you know, he, he hit up two different locations. He ditched his vehicle. What 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 traits do you look at here and say, ah, this is something that I need to make sure we 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 cover again or shore up here at home? I'll get a very detailed brief on this, as I have every active shooter in the world for the whole time I've been sheriff. And so each one usually has something that did that, that they did right and something maybe that you can learn that maybe didn't go as well as it should. So, for example, with Virginia Tech, you had the shooter that used chains to lock one side of the uh, education hall and then came in the other, so people had to go past him to get out. And it also limited entrance for public safety responders. So right after that, I ordered bolt cutters to be placed into our patrol cars so that we could get into a building that had a similar impediment. And we also train how to breach buildings if necessary. But all of those things that you see and learn from each situation informs what you need to think about and how you need to train. You, you've been on, on a lot of different uh, sides in this world. You've held a lot of different positions, obviously a sheriff in Oakland County. You've been on the policy side of things. It, there are people out there that, that say, what is what can we do to stop these things? What can be done? Do we address mental health? Do we have stricter gun laws? Is there well, really is there what 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 do you tell people that come up to you and ask similar questions? Well, certainly you have to connect the dots between military um, information. I mean, that that they found out after the Fort Hood shooting that, you know, he would have been prohibited from accessing uh, weapons and other things had information from Fort Hood been shared or from the military Mm -hmm. been shared prior to the Fort Hood. So we have to share information, number one. Number two, if somebody is is having a, a mental health crisis, uh, we've got to do everything we can to help them, but we also have to make sure that they're not a danger to themselves or others. So if you've got somebody going in saying, I'm hearing voices telling me to shoot up a military base, man, that that is very problematic that that person is, is still in a position to have weapons until he's declared, in, in my opinion, mentally you know, capable of, of not having a challenge hearing voices and being told to go do shootings. I mean, that, that's clearly one of the first things that jumps to the top. A, share information with the military, but B, connect the dots when somebody has already clearly. It sounds like they're going through a, a breakdown. 100%, without question. And yeah. so how is he still in a position to, to not A, be being treated, uh, actively treated, and B, in a position to still, you know, have and use weapons. And those will all be questions that they'll have to ask and answer in Maine. Yeah, and I and I imagine when once you get a detailed rundown of of what went right, what went wrong, I imagine that will be one of the questions at the top of the list. Uh, Sheriff Mike Bouchard, always good to talk with you. Thank you for your time and insight. Anytime, my pleasure. I I I just continue to to struggle with the fact that. For for those people in that community, I mean, much like what we dealt with here locally with Oxford, people's lives change forever.
There are people that aren't going to see their loved ones again, and it is it, it is tough to swallow. In the meantime, there is a manhunt still. There are people still fearful that there is a, a person on the loose that is obviously unstable, that is a, that is a murderer, and that is considered armed and dangerous. And, and there is a, certainly a fear uh, in the main area that, that this person still has not yet been caught. Uh, coming up next, a very special event taking place tonight. I will be there, uh, but it has to do with helping our veterans and their families. We'll talk about that next as we continue here on JR Afternoon, right here on WJR. Don't go anywhere. Well, you know, we do a lot with veterans here on WJR. Uh, and tonight is a, a very exciting night for me. Uh, I'll be emceeing an event out at the Colony Club tonight with a wonderful organization, the Fisher House of Michigan. And it is the Build It for the Brave fundraiser. And they are trying to raise money to build a Fisher House next to the Detroit VA. And if you're unfamiliar, they're facilities where families and veterans of families can stay free of charge while their service member, their loved one, is cared for at a VA. It is a wonderful, wonderful cause. And... Kate Melcher, the executive director of the Fisher House of Michigan, joins us, uh, has put this event together tonight. And, and there are a lot of folks that that maybe don't know about Fisher House, but I'd like for you to just take a moment and, and tell the folks about Fisher House and what you guys do. Well, thanks so much, Chris, for having Fisher House on your show. Um, you're absolutely right. Most people don't know what a Fisher House is, especially in Detroit. You know, people think that it's somehow related to Fisher body, um, different Fisher family, different mission, and just as important a part of the neighborhood. Um, we are a nonprofit that works with Fisher House Foundation at a national level to build and support Fisher houses near VA hospitals and military medical centers all over the world. Fisher House, Michigan, our neighborhood is here in the mitten. We've helped build one in Ann Arbor that served over 8,000 individuals since June of 2020. And next up, our mission is to build in Detroit on Woodward and Bethune. And so what kind of facilities are these? Uh, are, they're, they're, they're reminiscent of like an apartment uh, complex where there are individual housing units uh, in each building. Um, what kind of amenities are there for these families and their loved ones? Well, you might assume that's what it is, but I, I want to I change the premise a little bit. It's a home away from home. It's a beautiful 16-suite home that has a bunch of common areas because it's meant to be a brick-and-mortar support system. There are 16 individual private suites for the families, but they can come together in a common kitchen and on the back patio. And, you know, it's, it's meant to be like going home to your mom's at the holidays. You get reunited with people that you served with in the military. And even if you didn't serve in the same unit, you certainly speak the same language. When you have a life of service, you know, once you're getting your body repaired through the VA afterward, you know, your families have served with you. And this brings them all back together to, to fellowship and to help their loved ones heal. And these are expensive homes to build. These are expensive ventures. And when you're putting the love and care into them, like like Fisher House does, um, there's a cost with that. And and it's it's a it's a expensive cost. And that's why this fundraiser tonight is such an important part and another another huge step forward in getting this this particular facility built. 
if people want to get involved, if they want, if they feel that they want to to contribute to this mission, where, where do they go? How do they go about it? Sure, you're absolutely right, Chris. This is not a barracks building with fancy curtains. You know, this is a building that's going to be worthy of our men and women in uniform. And it takes an entire community to build and support a Fisher House. And you can get started at fisherhousemichigan.org. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn at Fisher House Mich. Or you can give us a call. Our contact information is on all of those sites, 313-483-6543. We would love to have your help building it for the brave. Well, it's a wonderful cause. And and like I said, uh, I can't wait for tonight uh, down at the Colony Club. We'll be there uh, shortly after the show. Uh, Kate Melcher, looking forward to it very much and uh, a wonderful cause. And we hope people uh, take a look at Fisher House, Michigan and uh, and get involved any way they can. Kate, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. A family's love is good medicine. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, In the meantime, I want to get back to a couple more of your calls. Uh, Obviously, the UAW uh, story today is a big one. And I'm just curious to know where, where you're at. Because while this tentative agreement with Ford and the UAW is a really great step in the right direction in getting people back to work and getting these cars rolling off the, the line again. What are the ramifications of this? Well, I would imagine that General Motors, I would imagine that Stellantis also will be taking a look at what this Ford deal is, what what it's comprised of, and I would imagine they'll they'll come pretty close to matching pretty similarly to what that deal is. Do you expect a raise in, in the cost of a, the price of a vehicle? You know, Daniel Ives with Wedbush Securities, if you missed that interview, thegreatvoice.com, it'll be there for you. Um, he says that, yeah, you could see an increase of two to $3,000 a vehicle in the next 18 months or so. Um, and then what does that do to the automakers? Are people going to be pushed in a different direction? I think those are valid questions to ask. But the UAW, you got to give them a lot of credit. They fought for a lot. They They were aiming very high. And at the end of the day, they came in with some pretty strong numbers for the rank and file, at least from my perspective. Now, the UAW members, the rank and file, it's a different story how they look at this. Because from my perspective, when you're asking for the the moon and the stars and the sun and you come back with a meteor, well, you're going to need to sell it. And, And the rhetoric that Sean Fain used, the striking tactics that the UAW used, you know, did they get 45% wage increases? No, they got 25%. Yes, they did get COLA back. Yes, they did They did work on the wage tiers, pensions. They got, they got a lot of accomplished that they wanted to get. But is that going to be enough to appease the rank and file that were really rallied around the Sean Fain message? I think it will be. I think when they hear from Sean Fain, when they hear from the leadership at the UAW, they will be, I believe, willing to ratify this deal. And again, I think General Motors and Solantis come in pretty quickly after that. 800-859-0957. Jim is in Howell. Hello, Jim. Good afternoon. Hey. Yeah, I was just uh, going to comment that when you start pushing too much uh, business, you know, they respond. And, you know, we've seen it in the past with automation. I think you're going to see another round of automation. 
that's going to be coming as soon as this contract's over. Also, you know, people think that, you know, when the wages go up, it's just the wages, but it's not. Your FICA goes up, the company's contribution. You know, people don't understand that 15.3% of the Social Security collected, um, the corporation pays or the business owner pays 7.65% of that out of their profits. Unemployment insurance at the federal and state level, that's paid by the business owner. That's not paid by the employees. So those are other costs that the manufacturer is going to be incurring. You know, so that sure. in and of itself is going to be billions of dollars that's going to be spent. <clears throat> so people really need to understand <clears throat> that it's just not the wage. It's all those. And plus, you know, let's face it, workers' comp goes up. Your insurance goes Your liability insurance in the business goes up because employees making more money. There's more risk to the insurance company, so that goes up. All right, Jim. It's so good. Got- no, you're right. It's good thoughts. I appreciate the call, bud. Thank you for holding on, Josh and Shelby Township. What's up, Josh? Yeah, I'm a operating engineers local 324 member. And, okay. Uh, from from our standpoint, as the other unions that go into the plants and rebuild them and stuff like mm-hmm. that, we we were there. Well, I wasn't, but. You know, in 09, when they gave up everything, we also had to give up a lot of stuff. No doubt. And they have a, they have a much bigger footprint to be able to stand up and say, hey, you know, this is it's high time you guys come back to the table with what you said we were going to get a long time ago. Yeah. So we've been sitting back watching all this, and we're pretty happy with, you know, how Sean Fain and the UAW are handling it because, like I said, they have they have the ability to do what we don't and, and force – them to the bargaining table and to you know see that it's it's time for us to get back to where we were at J- josh let me ask you a question what what company do you work for uh i'm not going to tell you what okay fair for. enough do, do you believe that that this deal is a is a fair one just from from the outside looking in um yeah with the stuff that I mean, they haven't said all the specific details, but with the 25%, the getting rid of the tier wages as much as possible, yep. uh, bringing back people, bringing people back to full time, as opposed to keeping them on uh, temporary workers so they don't have to, you know, pay them as much and stuff like that. I think it's a really good deal. And they added stuff, uh, at least one thing that I think is really good, which is the two weeks for uh, maternity leave, which they didn't even have that at all before. Right. All right, Josh, good stuff, man. I appreciate the call. Uh, real quick, Andrew in Macomb. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Chris. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I, sure. I think it's a great deal for the union, and I'm glad they got it. I'm a union member myself. My concern is with the price of vehicles. The price of vehicles right now is already so high that you have people like me who aren't uh, releasing vehicles. The lease on my vehicle was up. I had to. I was forced to buy it because they're talking about ridiculous amounts of money for me to lease a new vehicle. Yeah. So if the price of vehicles goes up again, I, I don't know what people are going to do. And I think they're going to lose a lot of customers because of it. Yeah, I, I that that's my worry, too, Andrew. I don't have anything to back that up right now that says, yes, the, the, the big three are going to raise prices on cars. But I think with the way that they've gone up over the last few years anyway, and then if you see an additional... Yeah. Two, three thousand bucks added on, like Daniel Live says. I, I think that could be problematic, but we'll, we'll, we'll buckle up and, and take a look. Andrew, appreciate the call. Right. Got to take a break. More coming up next on JR Afternoon. Now, I didn't expect them to win last night, but it was a nice showing by the Pistons to start the season, eh? Yeah. 
Well, Steve Courtney? Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, especially when you consider the Pistons had the worst record in the league a year ago. Yep. And, you know, you got Monty Williams in his first year on the bench, and um, I thought that was a tremendous hire. Yep. And uh, we'll see what goes down. Meanwhile, let me just say this, if I may. Uh, this conversation with young Chris brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford forward down the field. Yes, the W's are indeed stacking up. And how about those winged wheelers? Red hot on the ice. My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their True View inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Yeah, last night in Miami, your Detroit Pistons got this new season underway. And uh, there for a while, it was looking rather bleak. I'm not going to lie to you. The Heat led by 19 with 9.07 left. And you know, Chris, a lot of teams, regular season opener. Okay, we're going to be in Charlotte Friday night. We'll see what happens. Uh, No, the uh, Pistons got to work. Uh, As a matter of fact, they had the opportunity for the game winner, a 30-footer, heaved by Cade Cunningham, uh, did not go. But back to Cade quickly. It's not a good look. 30 points, 9 assists for the Pistons. Can't discount how important this dude is, especially uh, after not being able to go the distance a year ago. Jalen Duran, 17 points, 14 boards, 4 assists, and 4 blocks for the Detroiters. Isaiah Stewart, a.k.a. Beef Stew, 14 points, 14 boards. Killian Hayes, he put in 10. Um, And you got to believe Monty Williams, the aforementioned, happy with the... Final push there. The quote, we have a resilient group. The guys believe in what we're doing. They believe in each other. I think that stuff is really important. So uh, there you go. They will indeed visit Charlotte on Friday night. The home opener is Saturday against the Bulls. I, uh, you know, the problem with Cade, as you mentioned, is he hasn't been able to play an entire season. And when I say play an entire season, I don't mean you play all 82 games. I just mean... You're available, right? You're a part of load management. Kate has not been healthy for an entire season, and that's an issue. Well, you know, and we'll see. Hopefully uh, he can shake that this year. Um, But uh, the last thing you want uh, as a kid his age, as a professional athlete, is to have the China doll uh, reputation. And, uh, you know, the dude stays healthy and... You know, puts up the numbers that we all know he's capable of. Speaking of, of. China Doll, Ken Brown. Hey, Ken Brown's here. Yes. Hey. If I may chime in on that K Cunningham thing, that situation last year where he had the stress fracture, he's had that since high school. They just decided to take care of it last year. So he's not a China Doll. He had been playing with that for years. and He'd have to take games off because his leg was hurting. They finally decided to take care of it now early in his career so he can have the longevity of his career. So he's not a China Doll. That's a, a recurring problem. So he you're had. telling me he's going to play all 82? Well, he played 68, I think, the first year. So if he plays 68, look, it's the NBA. They don't play. They yeah. don't know a number over over sixty. Something. Correct. Well, so, and the way things were going a year ago, you know, why not have some yeah. and then, work done? Right. But the thing <laughs> is, I think the the Pistons kind of put the brakes on it in the season because they wanted that number one pick seed wise, and then didn't uh, get yeah. it, and then didn't get it. Yeah. But I tell you what, I, what I saw last night was encouraging. I'm gonna tell you I one agree. thing though: got to call a better player at the end of the game. Agreed. Highest paid coach in the league, Agreed. or second Agreed. highest paid. Now nah, let's. You know, I didn't well, like that look. And you got to consider uh, the Pistons going into this year rather shorthanded because Boyan Bogdanovich uh, still nursing that calf. Yep. Uh, he is out. He's going to be reevaluated in four weeks. Isaiah Livers dealing with an ankle. He as well will be reevaluated in four weeks. And then point guard 
Marte uh, Monte Morris. Uh, he's got a quad deal working. He'll be reevaluated in three weeks. So it's going to be a fun year down at LCA. Yeah, the Red Wings look different. I'll just say very that. promising. Uh, the cat. I'm all about the cat. To bring it. Ooh, my gosh. I mean, I mean the way that. The way that they play offensively, and look, the league is a lot different than it was back in the early 2000s, but the staple, kind of the identity of those Red Wings teams were, we were going to pepper the net. We're going to have 40, close to 50 shots a game, and we're going to just, we're going to make you grind it out in the crease. This team puts the puck on the net. They're creative. They seem to have a little bit of a, chemistry with each other they know where everybody's going to be look I'm not I I don't know what they're going to do down the road but but this feels different than the last couple of seasons well and I'm kind of shocked you mentioned the chemistry um you know when you consider that half of this roster via the Iser plan is uh, changed yeah and you got a lot of new dudes in there um but you know you mentioned to bring it I mean this cat is making it look easy right now yeah um but you know some of the other guys uh the new guys are 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 doing what they brought here to do and uh they're a lot of they're a fun hockey club to watch right now let me ask you this so there has been some reports that patrick kane who isn't playing in the league right now because he's injured he's a free agent of course played with chicago over many years won a few different cups there uh played with alex to in chicago and to scored 40 uh, he has listed Detroit as one of the teams that he is watching for to see how their season progresses. So maybe a midseason ad, somebody like mm. like like that, I think would would be a really nice addition for this team. I think El Capitan, yeah, Stevie Y would uh, take kick a the look tires. At that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, take a look at. It. I mean, what's it going to cost? And yeah, just sure. that and the other thing. Sure, don't some baggage come with him though. Nah. Okay. Um. What are you guys doing today? What are we going on? Well, we're going to talk to Lugan Tomlinson from Tel Aviv. We're going to talk to a woman in Seattle who is done with the uh, working on behalf of criminal victims. She's had her feel with it, and she's done with it. So it'll be interesting to turn in for that. She was a she, criminal advocate the whole time, attorney, whatever. She says she's done. She's done. She's done with it. She is done with now it. Now she's taking the side of the perpetrator. No, she's taking the side of the law. The perpetrator. She said the perpetrators are getting away with too much. <laughs> yeah, right. Fair so, enough. Okay, good. And uh, we have another person from the um, general council of Israel. So we got okay. that going. We're going to talk a little. Uh, might talk a little basketball. Um, matter of fact, Monty Williams might be joining us. It's, uh, oh. Today? 50, yeah, 50-50. Are you going to tell him what you, what you said? I'm going to tell him, Today? man. I'm going to tell him for that big paycheck, I want to see a better play at the end of the game. Okay. Just throw it in the cage and move out the way. Just throw it in the cage. Just throw it in the cage and move out the way. It's not going to work. Uh, hi, Mr. Williams. No, no. Tremendous job last no, night. No, uh, this no, is Ken Brown. Let's do a little role play right now, you. Steve. Your body. Hi, hi Marty. How are you doing? <laughs> What's up? What's up with the last play, dog? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. No, 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 no. No. I want you to say, well, uh, excuse me, with that paycheck, I expect a better play. That's what I want you to say. Here's how it's going to go. Coach Ken Brown, so nice to have you on the show. Yeah. Uh, listen, 19 points down. You guys almost came all the way back. <laughs> and I thought it was tremendous. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Give me a dollar. Can I yeah. change your Can yeah. I change your oil? Here's my home address if you want to send the check. <laughs> All right, good. We got a lot right. to do today. That's very good. Uh, 
by the way, uh, we will continue to follow this shooting situation in Maine. They are still on the hunt for this gunman, so we'll keep an eye on that for you as well. Uh, Unbelievable. You're right. 18 people dead, 13 injured. All right, Mitch Allman, the crew, coming up next. Going to do it for me. See you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a good one.